Well, hey, New Hope Community Church. Uh, so thankful to be here with you guys today. Uh, it's really my pleasure. My name is Thomas Costello. Uh, I was just thinking about it. This is my fifth chance I get to share uh, with you folks here. Uh, so really so blessed by that. So thankful uh, to be able to share the word with uh, such a great church there. Uh, I love what's going on uh, and what's happening at your church. So uh, thank you so much again for having me. We're excited uh, that you guys are going to get your pastors back here in the next couple of weeks, it sounds like. Uh, so uh, that's really, really awesome to hear. Uh, I love Pastor John and Pastor Renee. And I just love your whole church as a whole. You guys are doing such a great job. And I can say this too, it's just been such a blessing, I know, to them to have a team and a church that they can take time from and know that it's really well loved and cared for by the leaders within your church. So uh, really, I'm blessed to be able to speak and share with you guys here today. So let me ask you a question as we get started. Do you remember for those of you that are parents, or maybe if you're young and you're not a parent and you maybe you had kid, you were a kid at one point, you remember this? Do you remember when kids are little uh, and they are getting to that place where they still fall asleep really easily, but they're getting too big to carry. Like, so the kids will like fall asleep in the car, but then they're like too heavy for you to get them from the car to their bed. Like, so my kids now, they're 17, uh, 15, and 10 is my youngest. Uh, and my 10-year-old is a uh, not a small 10-year-old. And so he is definitely at that place where he is hard to get up and move around. When he, he still does kind of fall asleep like that sometimes. But moving him around is a whole other story. But I remember back when he was oh, five years ago, when he was five or so, he wasn't a small five-year-old either. But I remember in those times, and I remember it with all my kids, and maybe you remember it with your kids, or if you are a kid that you remember back in those days when mom and dad could just pick you up from the car and there was nothing that felt better than that, right? Like you're, you fall asleep on the ride home or you fall asleep in front of the TV at a movie night or something and mom and dad pick you up. You don't have any of the energy to get there and they place you gently into your bed. They tuck you in. And what's amazing to me now as an adult is how can anybody sleep through that? I couldn't imagine as an adult being picked up, moved, put into a different place and being able to sleep through that entire thing. Because now as an adult, I am the exact opposite, right? As an adult, when when I hear like a, a rustle that happens in my bedroom or my wife gets up to go to the bathroom or something like that in the sleep, I'm immediately up right away, right? I, I'm shocked awake right away when I hear anything going on. I'm, I've become a lighter and lighter sleeper. I'm literally shocked by every little thing that happens. And I say all that as kind of a way of an introduction to what we wanna talk about here today. Uh, I think, and I fear maybe even, that many of you are like me, and that in our finances, we might have that same kind of attitude like me when I'm sleeping. Is that when I have anything that arises, any kind of a, something that's out of the ordinary, or something bad happens, or we run into some trouble, something comes over me and I get stressed. I might even say that I worry about these kinds of things or I start to think that, you know, I start to plan and scheme. I don't know. Maybe some of you can relate to me. I think just about everybody, if we're being really honest, can relate to that. That finances are one of the biggest stressors that every single one of us has in our lives. And so in this message today, I want to dig in. We're going to look into some words from Jesus 
and learn what he shares with us about how we should handle that initial inclination that we all experience when things in our, our own security, our finances, when those things kind of, when we have little blips in the road, when we have little issues that come up, that thing in our heart that says, oh no, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? How am I gonna be taking care of this? All of those feelings that we have, Jesus has a lot to say about those. So we're gonna be reading in Luke chapter 12 today. If you wanna turn in your Bibles there to Luke chapter 12, we're gonna be looking at what Jesus has to say about how we can have peace as opposed to this startling kind of response to any kind of financial situation that comes up in our lives. So Luke chapter 12, we're gonna be looking at verse 22 through about verse 34. And I have three things that I want you to see in what Jesus teaches us about how we should respond to these kinds of financial uh, concerns that come up in our lives. So before we get into the word, let's pray. Uh, we'll pray together and we'll see what God has to say this, uh, this afternoon here, or this morning, whenever you're watching this here. Well, Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have very clear instruction for us uh, about very 21st century problems because these are things that are common to man. They've been common to us since the time that you, Jesus, walked the earth and for thousands of years before that. So I thank you that you have clear instruction from your word on how we're supposed to respond to this innate human thing that we all experience. Lord, would you teach us today from your word and show us what you would have for us today? Uh, for any of us that are maybe coming in and thinking that Maybe it's, it's not something that I need to hear, or maybe we're in a really tough place with this now. I just pray you would, Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to receive a tender word from you right now. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read here. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 22, and we're going to look at verses 22. We'll start off just 22 to 25. Here's what it says. It says, and then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat, or about your body, and what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more are you valuable, uh, how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And we'll stop there for just a second. I love at the end that he, that he describes adding hours to your life as if it's a little thing, right? So it's in God's eyes, yes, it absolutely is a little thing. Adding an hour to your life is, is nothing. But for us, we, we, we try to preserve our lives. And that's a huge undertaking to make something like that happen. But I, I just love this passage. It is so peace-giving. And what God is saying here, what, what Jesus is saying to these people that are listening to him, he's saying that if you have this tendency to start to freak out or worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all those kinds of things, if you're worried about your finances, he says, knock it off. Stop doing that. You don't need to do that. And I think it's a tender word. I don't think he's looking and, and rebuking people. And, and while it's probably not healthy, and it may even be a sin, but I, I don't think that's his heart. His heart is one that's pastoral in this. And he's telling you, hey, you don't need to do that anymore. And he gives these two examples. He talks about, hey, think about um, your what you're going to eat, right? Now, for me, I think it's important that we kind of understand what he's talking about with what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. 
what we think about in 21st century world here, when someone says, what are you gonna eat? What are you gonna wear? It's like, what kinds of food and what kinds of clothes are we gonna be eating and wearing? Whereas what Jesus is talking about is something very different. Like in my household, like what we're gonna eat, like what kind of food, that's kind of an important question that gets asked every single day. I have two boys uh, and I'm kind of like this too, but that's kind of a, the thing about a man's heart is food is the way to it. And we have really seen that to be the case in our house. Every day how it works, if our kids are home or like let's say the moment they walk in the door from school, what is the first question out of a 10-year-old or a 16-year-old's mouth right when they get home? What's for dinner? What's for dinner, mom? What are we going to be having tonight? And it's something that is just like clockwork. And it would happen even earlier. Back in COVID times, like when the kids were home and they weren't going to school every day, it would be at like 9.30 in the morning. They'd start to get concerned with what was going to be for dinner that night. We haven't even had lunch yet. And dinner was the top priority for them. And if I'm being totally honest, I kind of have that same concern too. Now, I'm smart enough not to go to my wife every single day at 9.30 in the morning and say, hey, what are you going to make for dinner tonight? And I do a lot of the making of for dinner too at our house, but I'm smart enough to not do that. But I am, I will say I'm guilty of when Sam or, or Oliver, my boys, when they ask that question, I'm listening in. I want to know what's coming up for dinner there because that's just kind of how we're wired. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about, don't worry about the quality or the kind of food you're going to eat, whether it's going to be uh, kind of Jewish food or uh, Middle Eastern food, if you're going to have lasagna tonight or whatever, you know, they didn't have a lot of options with the different kinds of food they would be eating. So he's just talking about whether or not they're going to eat or not. It's like a life or death kind of question more than a will I like it or will I won't question. Same thing with the clothes, right? He's asking, he's saying, don't worry about what you're going to wear. It's more like saying, don't worry if you're going to have something to wear. Right? It's not saying, hey, don't worry if you're not going to be able to have Lulu uh, or you can't have, you can't be in the Gucci gang. Don't worry about that. Well, that, that's also true. You should not worry about those things. He's talking at a much more base level is that don't worry about whether or not you're going to have a jacket that'll keep you warm or a shirt off your back, right? Don't, don't worry about those kinds of things. And it really is telling. He says, if that's something that you worry about, where your, how your needs are going to be met, Quit it. You don't need to do that. You don't need to have those kinds of worries in your life. So he shares that with us. And then as kind of a way of illustrating what he's talking about, he says this. He says, take a look at the ravens. Consider what the, the ravens do. They don't go out. They don't sow. They don't reap. Just think about what ravens do. And I think that's really interesting that Jesus asks us to, to consider the ravens. I kind of get like this picture of Jesus almost like he's a hippie and he's like, you know, think about the ravens, man. Like it's kind of the thought that he has. He's, he's kind of calling attention to something that people would have seen. But here's the thing. If you really consider ravens, I want you to actually to consider them. Here, let me, I'm going to put a picture up here on the screen so you can see when we look, think about ravens, we need to consider ravens. We need to consider what they're like. He did not choose a beautiful bird. He didn't choose a cardinal or a, uh, those beautiful little guys that fly around uh, in, in Hawaii here. I don't even know what they're called, but the little tiny ones that kind of go in those big flocks. I know out at the soccer fields in Waipio, when we go out to there, I'm always amazed by these little yellow birds. They're the cutest little things that fly all over the place. And I, I kind of wish he said consider those, but instead he said consider the raven. 
consider a raven. And, and as you can see in this picture, ravens, there's not really... People don't like ravens. Ravens aren't a nice bird. Only Edgar Allan Poe and like goth people like ravens, right? That's what that's who's into ravens. Most of us don't really care for them because the people of, uh, of Jesus's day, they would have seen ravens out at the trash heap where everybody was throwing stuff away. They would have seen ravens picking at dead animal carcasses that died on the side of the road. And that's that's where they would experience ravens. And so Jesus says, hey, he talks about these ravens and says, don't, don't worry about your life. Like they, I'm providing for them. When I was, uh, back when we lived in Wisconsin, we bought uh, a house there in Wisconsin and loved this house. And what it came with was three different bird feeders that were mounted in different areas of the property. So we had one in the back and one on each side of the house. So we had these bird feeders all over the place. And so we first got the house. We're like, hey, this is amazing. I, I love wild birds. Let's see what kind of birds we can get to show up. We Maybe uh, we had a little hummingbird feeder on one, and then we had uh, a bigger bird feed, uh, and birds could come to this and, and get whatever they wanted to get to eat. And then we thought maybe we'd get some cardinals, or uh, we'd have some, uh, some blue jays, or other things could come. All kinds of birds could be there. And so we wound up going, we did some research, and found like there's all kinds of selections of bird seed apparently that you put into bird feeders. Uh, you go to the store there, we had a, it was a store called Menards and it was this giant, like it was, think of it like six Home Depots basically, right? So just enormous place and they have like a bird seed aisle where there are like 50 different types of bird seed. And so, you know, me being who I am, I kind of looked at, hey, which one? $9.95. That's the thing for a big 20 pound bag of bird seed. So I went and got the cheapest one, grabbed that bird seed, and we load up our feeders with all this bird seed. And we were really excited, like kind of watched every day. We'd peek out and take a look and birds find out about it pretty quickly. But the ravens actually found out about it very quickly as well. And so at first we had a couple of really cute looking birds come up and then the ravens, which are like four times bigger than all the other ones, they start getting on there and they chase all the nice birds away. And then to add insult to injury, they decided because I bought the cheap seed that they really only wanted a few kinds of seed out of this big seed mix. And so what they would do is they would get their hands and they'd get their beaks in there and they would throw everything else out of the way. They'd just throw all the seed anywhere that they possibly could to pick out the few little seeds that were the ones that they wanted to eat. Meanwhile, it spreads all the other seed all over the ground. If you ever had a bird feeder before, you'd find out that that means that there's seeds turn into weeds. And so we have weeds all over the place underneath where the bird feeder is. And the ravens just drove us nuts. So. It's very interesting to me that God chose to use the ravens as the people in this illustration. And here's why it's interesting. I think it's amazing because I think we have this ten tendency to think that if God had used a, a beautiful bird, if he chose a blue jay or the nene goose, for instance, or it cho he chose something that, that we all love, then we might have this tendency to think, well, yeah, I mean, the nicest birds of all are the ones that God provides for. But instead here, he chose the nastiest bird, the bird that ever that lived at the dump, that everybody hated, and it would eat up all the all their dead animals and all their all their refuse would get picked through by ravens. He chose that one to be the one he uses to describe and have us consider, to take a second and consider the fact that this nasty bird 
is the one that God will take care of and provide for. And so he says, how much more will I do that for you? How much more? So, Because we get in this idea thinking that, well, yeah, if I'm really, really good, if I'm like a beautiful bird to God, if I do all the right things, then in that circumstance, God will take care of me. He'll bless me. He'll, he'll provide for all my needs. But that's not what he's saying. Maybe you get caught into that kind of thinking that if I'm good, then God will provide. It's not an exchange like that. It's not if you do good, then God will take care of you. It is a promise that he makes. He promises to those that follow him, to those that are part of his family. He's saying, you're going to be provided for. I'm going to take care of all your needs. He loves you more than a raven. He's going to take care of you. He's going to bless you. So the first thing I want you to see is that God meets the needs of those who trust him. God meets the needs of everybody who trusts him. It's not on a merit system. It's not be good and then God will meet your needs. He provides for the, the, the nastiest birds. He will provide for even those of us that have done the worst things in our lives. When we turn our life over to Jesus and say, this life belongs to you, part of the package is he promises to take care of us and to bless his children. Let's read on. You see what it says. We get more into the blessing part of things as we go here. Look at this. He says, consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor. They don't spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and it's and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you O oh, you of little faith, and do not set on your heart, uh, don't set your heart on what we will eat or what we will drink. Do not worry, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But here's what it says in verse 31, very important. But seek first his kingdom, and these things, all these great things we're talking about here, all the, the beautiful clothes and everything, seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So here we see this, another account, another illustration. So first, Jesus says, think about ravens. And then next, kind of this hippie Jesus, a picture of this way, he gives us another picture. Hey, why don't you spend some time considering wildflowers? Think about wildflowers. Specifically, what he's saying is think about lilies. That's how it is in most translations. It talks about, think about lilies of the field. And when we think about lilies, I don't know where my mind goes, is I think of the most famous lily painter um, of all. I have a picture here. You can go ahead and see this picture. It's a very famous picture. We saw this picture just uh, recently, my wife and I. We were uh, visiting museums. We've seen his work in New York. We've seen it in Chicago. My wife and I love to go to art museums. But uh, you know his name is Claude Monet, is who this uh, painter is. Very, very famous painter. Uh, and he does such beautiful paintings. He's an impressionist, but what he's most known for are these impressionist paintings of water lilies. There's some with a very iconic bridge, and he's just a fantastic, fantastic painter. Uh, and he, here Jesus is saying, I want you to consider that. And I, let me show you another picture. Um, I'll put this one up here. This is a picture of an actual water lily that grows in my front yard. So we have this little pot that has fish swimming in it and there's some lilies in there as well. And so uh, there's always one or two, one's white and one's purple. It's a picture of the purple one. We always have these flowers popping up and I, I can't tell you how often I'll walk by this 
and I'll just be I'll, I'll just be some. That's what this picture is. It's from like a year ago uh, when I walked by one day. I'm like, my goodness, that is that's that's breathtaking. That this flower is really something that is amazing. It's something to behold here. And so what what I want you to see in this, and I think the illustration that Jesus is making, is that. God, he, he loves us so much and he is such a beautiful designer that he promises, like with all the beauty we see in the world, that for those that seek first his kingdom and, and really put his purposes first in our lives, that he promises that he is going to bless us even more than the way that he makes these lilies look beautiful. And that's what I see is that God blesses us when we put his purposes, his kingdom when we put that first. And, and here's what I find that I do at least sometimes is I try to think of what is the biggest blessing that I could possibly have. Like I think of my own blessings. Like I think of God, remember he is a father, right? So God is our father. And we think about how we are with our own children sometimes. If my children came to me and they said, hey dad, I, I want this or I need this, Obviously, as a father, I'm obligated to meet all of my children's needs, all the things that they need. So a place to sleep, food to eat, education for them, these things that are like actual needs of my kids. But I got to tell you this, as a father, there is nothing that blesses me more, that, that makes me happier than giving my kids actual blessings, like being able to do amazing things for my kids. I love Christmas morning when they get to open presents and they're, the gifts are extravagant. I mean, it's not, it's within reason usually of our house, but it's, I just love to exceed their expectations and to be a huge blessing to my kids. Now, if you're a parent, you know that you don't always give your kids everything that they want, right? We know that. So if I kid asks for um, you know, something that isn't healthy for them or not something that would actually be a blessing to their life but could turn into a curse, like so in a lot of cases that's, um, I, I have, again, boys, they would love at times of their life to eat nothing but ice cream and sweets and those things all the time. And really, if I were to give that to them, they would think it to be a blessing, but in reality, it's actually a curse. Here's the big picture is that God, our Father, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And his promise to us is that if we honor him and we put his, his purposes and his kingdom first, that he promises that he is going to bless us. And remember that God's blessing is better than anything that we could possibly imagine or hope for. I use those two ideas of those two different kinds of water lilies, right? So I, the Monet picture uh, and then there's the real picture. Now, the Monets are worth millions of dollars, right? The Monets are, are worth more than we can even imagine. I don't know that I could sell my water lily, my actual water lily. But let me ask you this. Would you rather spend an entire day surrounded in one room by a Monet painting, like one beautiful Monet painting, and you couldn't leave that room for an entire day, or would you rather be outside in what God has made in a field full of water lilies and taking in all of their beauty? For most of us, I think I would prefer the, the latter. I would rather be with God's actual career. As beautiful as the Monet is, I'd love to take it in. But I'm not the kind of person that could just stare at that 
for hours and hours on end and continue to be inspired, but you put me out in a field surrounded by real water lilies, I'd love to spend the day in something like that. Here's the point with all that is that God and what he has for us, his blessings that he has for us are even better than what we could create for ourselves. Though they're worth millions of dollars or we, we think this would make us really happy, God's plan for us is even better. That's what I think Jesus is saying here. When we trust him and put his purposes first, then he will bless us. And here's the last thing I want you to see in this, that God protects us when we make him our treasure. That God protects us when we stop worrying about our finances and we make him our treasure. Here's what it says, verse 32. It says, do not be afraid, little flock. Note that word there, we're gonna come back to that. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want you to see in this that God protects us when we make him our treasure. Jesus is saying some pretty radical stuff here, right? I, I think that like, most of us are like, okay, like I can get over that hurdle of, okay, it's going to be hard to trust you, but I, I'll do it. I'm going to trust you. But then he takes it to like this other level. And he says, in addition to trusting me, I want you to realize that nothing you have is actually yours. And if called upon, you need to be able to sell all your stuff and give it away to poor people. That's what he's saying to do. And that's a really, really challenging. Okay. Can we just be honest? Tell me, like, I, I can't hear you on this video, but just think for yourself, is that easy to do? No, it's not. Really think about that. It's it's hard if I was called to do that, but I, I want you to see what he does there. I, want, I told you I'd come back to this, but that word where he says, do not be afraid, little flock. That's something that's so interesting to me, that term little flock. What it uh, it's, it doesn't really appear much in scripture. Like, so there are many illustrations of sheep and that's the kind of flock we're talking about here, not bird flocks, uh, but it's a, a flock of sheep is what he's talking about. And it's not a, this particular little flock is not a common thing in scripture here, uh, but there are few things in this world that are less intimidating than a little flock of sheep. A flock of little sheep is kind of what the, what it's saying here. You think about when you go to the zoo, right? So you go and there's giant walls separating you from the hippos and the tigers are behind big glass panels so you can see them, but you can't get too close to them and lions are very caged off. But if you ever go to a petting zoo, there's no separation between baby lambs and people. In fact, they take like 18 month old little babies to go hang out with little baby sheep because they are so incredibly harmless. And I think it's so interesting here that in the midst of a very hard assignment that God gives us, that he says, don't be afraid. And he refers to us as a little flock. And in reality, a little flock has a lot to be afraid of. There's lots of scary things that can happen to a little flock. Without someone to protect a little flock, they are basically dead meat. Wolves come and take little lambs because they are totally and completely defenseless. And apparently wolves think that they're delicious, right? So a, a little flock that he's referring to us, I think it's really important why that's in scripture here. What he's saying is that you can have confidence in doing what I'm calling you to do, this radical stuff, uh, 
because while you're a little flock, you have a great shepherd. That's what's really important with this here. I, uh, I surf uh, some. I typically surf out in Hawaii Kai. That's my, uh, my spot. I go to seconds and uh, my kids and I, we like to go surfing out there. But I've been surfing since I was young. Uh, I used to surf at seconds. Even I've been surfing at the same spot since I was probably 12 years old. I've been going out to the same thing. So good night. 30 years I've been surfing that same place. And what's amazing about surfing is it doesn't really change. Another place that I used to surf a lot when I was a kid is I used to go out to Threes in Waikiki there. Um, it's right out from the Halikoa Hotel. We'd park there and shoot out to Threes. We usually like to go there on big days, like when, when the surf was a little bit big. Not like really big because I'm not that kind of guy, but you know when there's a little bump coming in and maybe where I go seconds would close out a little bit, we would typically go out into town. Now, when you get into town, all you guys that are surfers, you know that it's more crowded and you know, threes is probably like a, it's a pretty, pretty hefty paddle out there. Maybe a, maybe a quarter mile. I don't know. It just, it felt really long. I haven't been out there in a while, but it felt like a really long way when I was a kid. So, but I remember one time I was probably 18 or 19 years old. Uh, I went out there surfing and it was like a little bump. It was probably maybe five footers were coming in, but like mostly, you know, three to fours, that kind of stuff, but occasional fives. So good size. Yeah. So it's enough to, be really fun, uh, but not enough that's going to get you super hurt. You could get hurt, but not not too bad there. But I remember I was uh, out there. I had caught one wave, and I was lining up to go for a second. Uh, and there was a, a girl, young girl. She's probably like a local girl, probably like 12 or 13 years old, who was uh, in a position, but she looked like she was going left. So I was going to go right. Now, if you don't know much about surfing, um, that uh, I know sometimes when you see like pictures or like movies of surfing, you'll have like 14 people in Waikiki at canoes or something on the same wave, or they'll show on the mainland, they'll show Malibu, and there's all these people on longboards all riding straight, standing up together. That's not reality for surfing. I guess it still is at canoes. Like you can have like 14 people on the same wave, but every other break on the entire island, it's etiquette that one person, one wave, unless they're going opposite directions, right? So usually one person can go left, one person can go right. She looked like she was going left. I was going to go right. And so I was going, and then I paddle in, I get in the wave and I look back behind me over my shoulder and oh, oh man, this, this, she went, she went right. It's no good. That's, that's not, that's, I didn't mean to do that. I, I, I wouldn't have done that. Even though as a, a young girl, I wasn't like, uh, it wasn't one of those things, but so it's just a, a young girl. I would have let her go. She was a good surfer. And so I start paddling back. She got off because she knew there was nowhere to go on that wave. I was in front of her on that there. And so I paddle back. Uh, and as I'm paddling back, I see her talking to all her, uh, I guess her dad and some of her uncles that were all out there at threes that day. And, and I start paddling back and I'm like, oh man, this is not good. And she just looked at me and, and she yelled, go in. And I kind of you know, did that, looked, looked behind. And then she, and I kept paddling a little bit and she said it again, go in, is what she said. And it wasn't that she had that authority to tell me where I could and couldn't go, but I saw all her local uncles and her dad, I think they're the big, they're kind of sitting there, I don't know, I don't remember. In my mind, they were kind of like this, a little bit like looking all tough. And so you know what I did? I went in. <laughs> I went in. See, here's the point. I wasn't that I was intimidated by this young girl herself. She would have been like the, the little flock. But what was intimidating to me was all of her uncles, her community, and specifically her dad 
that was right there. I was this little 18 year old out there. I was like a hundred pounds lighter than I am today probably. And I wasn't going to mess around with that. I still wouldn't mess around with any of that to this day. See, the, the point is, is that she didn't do that by her authority. She didn't have like all this courage to, to be able to, to say that to me, someone much bigger than her because of her strength or her power, but it was because of her father and the people that were around her. And the same thing goes for us here is that, that God promises that he will protect us and he will provide for us very clearly when we make him our treasure. And it's not because we have somehow earned it or deserved it, but when we put all of our trust and all of our hope in him, in God our Father, he promises that he's going to take care of us, his little flock. So maybe you think, man, I, I don't know, I could... I, I think what the scripture is calling us to do is be more generous. Like to, I, I don't, I'm not here to tell you that like you need to sell everything you have and give it all uh, down at Salvation Army or to the church or anything like that. But what I, I am saying is that giving to God at times in your life, will, it almost always should be sacrificial. It should be something that makes you say, oh, wow. Like if you're someone who tithes 10% of your income, for a lot of people, that's going to be like the second biggest payment you have. Maybe your your house, whatever that costs you, usually is more. But for a lot of us, like your tithe, giving 10% of your income, you're going to look and say, oh, wow, that's, that's laying it out there. That's laying it out on the line to do something like that. But God says that he will protect us. He will take care of us. And we have nothing to fear with this if we make him our treasure. When we choose to do that, God calls us to do extremely radical things. It, sometimes people make this mistake and they think that, well, God calls rich people to give a lot and he calls poor people to not give that much. And that's not the case at all. Scripture is very clear that giving and generosity and being sacrificial is something for the rich and the poor alike. Now, the rich will obviously give more because they have more to give, but it's not to say that people that don't have a lot are not to be generous or not to be sacrificial with the things that they have. What the scripture teaches us here and in this passage is very clear is that no matter we're rich or poor, either way, if we are generous and take those kinds of leaps in our lives and we sell things and give it away, give our lives and our livelihood and our, our finances away, that God will protect us when we make him our treasure. So there's two kinds of people, I guess, that I want to speak to, I guess, as we close this up here. Number one, if you came in listening to this message, uh, and I think most of us are probably here if we're being honest, but finances can be scary, right? Like when things come up and there's, there's a lot of tension, I can tell you in my life, there've been more disagreements with my wife and my family, and there's been more strife in our family than finance on finances than just about anything else. So I'm with you here. I understand the challenge that goes with this. So to those of us that are in that place where we have that tension of finances in our life, uh, God would say, will you trust me with this? Will you trust me with this in that I take care of all the birds? I take care of the lilies. I do all these things. Will you, will you trust me enough to give this over to me? And for others of us, I think the question is, are we willing to trust him so much, not so much, like not out of our abundance, but will we trust him in, 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 our, in our lack? 
in the places that we don't have, where we have a lack of abundance, in places where it will actually cost us something, are we willing to be that kind of generous? Are we willing to, to honor what God is saying here, whether we have a lot or a little, as his little flock, as his children, and knowing that our Father wants to bless us and can bless us more than we could possibly bless ourselves, are we willing to take that kind of risk to say, I will be sacrificial in my generosity in order to make you my treasure? I want to pray that way this morning. Let's, let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much that you promise to love us, to provide for us, to protect us, and to go over and above to bless us when we put you first in this area here, Lord. For those of us that are really struggling with some kind of a financial burden, whether it's our own making or circumstances that were dealt to us, it really doesn't matter. The solution is the same. It's putting our trust completely in you. So I pray, Lord, you would help us to have that courage to trust you, that you will provide for us all the time, to let go of our worry, to let go of our anxiety, and put you first in that area. And God, for those of us that maybe are, are feeling a tug of, of being more generous or being more sacrificial with our things, God, I pray you would give us the courage to take that kind of leap even when it seems like that's something that doesn't even make sense. On paper, it doesn't add up. Would you give us the courage, if you, Holy Spirit, are calling us to do these things, that we'd step out and we would do something radical with our wealth and the things that you've given us. God, would you be our treasure? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here, for uh, sharing this time with me. God bless you, and I hope you have a great week.